If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis 27. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 27. Let's pray together. Father, what your word says is truth. And I I ask of you that we as professing followers of Jesus Christ and believers of the truth that this is your word, are willing and ready to submit to the Word of God. Lord, my my natural inclination at times is to disagree with what I see in the Word. I pray you change my natural inclination in those times, Father. Dear God, I ask that as we uh, continue in this series in the book of Genesis, that God, you would be about your work in the lives of your people. Your word does not return void. I know you're accomplishing your good will and your good purpose in this place, even this morning. I just ask, Father, that I would not be a stumbling block or, or getting in the way of what the word says that your spirit would take your word and apply it to the hearts of your people. And Father, for those that potentially are in this room this morning that are outside of Christ and have no spiritual life, I plead with you, Father, to supernaturally cause them to be born again to a living hope, that they may see Jesus rightly, see themselves rightly, and cling to the safety net. Father, cling to the the only thing that can rescue souls is the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, use your word today, I pray, for your namesake, for the good of your church body, Father. Father God, to the eternal, everlasting joy of those that potentially may not know you and need that peace, need that salvation. They need to come to your yoke and put it on and submit with great joy to you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name and for his name's sake, I pray. There are certain things that you should have your ears trained to that when you hear that from this world, you should recognize it as false teaching. False teaching. Here's one of them. Man is basically good. Your response thrills my soul this morning. That you laugh at that. Or man is the measure of all things, the humanist mantra. That thought that man's basically good is one that you hear all over the place, consistently, and at times may even subconsciously think it's true. 
Well, it's not. <laughs> it's not the truth. Man is not basically good, and he's not kind of bad. The Scripture tells us what man is. And I, before we continue in this series with Isaac and his family, uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to go right back to Genesis, but I want you to see this with your eyes in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And think about what we've been covering with Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebekah <clears throat> thus far. If this isn't highlighted in your Bible, it, it, it is one that I think should be. The heart, this is your heart apart from Christ. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately, desperately sick. Who can understand it? You ever heard somebody say in this world, you just follow your heart? No, don't follow your heart. It's evil. Apart from the new birth, apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, you are evil. I am evil. The heart is desperately wicked. And as we search the Bible, you will see over and over and over again, it doesn't back up. It doesn't flinch. It doesn't miss a beat in speaking about the nature and character of man. When I say man, I mean all of mankind. Men, women, children. The Bible never says, well, not that bad. Or, well, you know, there's this little island of righteousness that they still got. The Bible never, ever speaks like that. If anything, the Bible makes the church in America today blush in the way it speaks about the character and nature of fallen man. And that makes people mad, and the world gets upset, and some Christians get upset, but it's what the text says. And so either, beloved, we submit to that, or we go off believing something that's not true and deny the word of the living God. Man is evil, apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's funny when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. <laughs> there are no good people. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 says, no man seeks after God. All have turned aside. And the more you plunge into the depths of what the Scripture says, and let me just say, the longer you're a believer and plunge the depths of your own soul, the more you come away going, I had no idea how dark I was. I had no idea the depths of my sin until I saw Christ rightly. When I saw God rightly, I saw Dan rightly, and it looked pretty bleak, apart from His grace. Now, I say that because... Sometimes we can read the Scripture with, with this lens that can do us some serious damage where we read the Bible and we read it where there are good guys and bad guys. Isaac's a good guy. Jacob's a good guy. Esau's a bad guy. David is a good guy. Philistines are bad guys. Therefore, be more like David and don't be a bad guy. That is a message at times that can be taught. Now, I'm, please don't miss me on this I'm in no way saying um, that 
there's not examples and, and things that we should follow in the good character of people, by all means. I, absolutely. But I think we do a great injustice to the Word of God when we come to it going, David's really good, Philistine's really bad, be more like David, end of story. No, the truth of the Scripture is David's bad. The Philistines are bad. Jeremiah's bad. Ezekiel's bad. Jonah? Jonah? Serious? These are people who mess up, just like you, just like me. And you go, well, then how can anybody be saved? I'm glad you asked. It's in the righteousness of Christ and in the righteousness of Christ alone. We make a mockery of the Scripture when we think it's a book that simply tells us how to act and how not to act. And we miss the entire meta-narrative of the Gospel, which is a glorious, perfect Savior that's on a rescue mission to save humanity. So, coming back to this study, this text in particular, we're right in the middle of this whole debacle with Jacob and Esau. Um, look down at verse, chapter 27, verse 1, just to give you a little flavor of what we covered last week. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, you read that and you go, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. It is a massive deal because God has already said the older will serve the younger. Esau will serve Jacob. Not only that, the birthright has already been sold from Esau to Jacob And now what's happening here is Isaac is secretively saying, come in here, and what's going to happen is you go prepare the delicious food that I love, you come back, we'll have a feast, and then I'll give a blessing that's rightfully your brother's to you. The tough part is they lived in a tent and his wife has good hearing. Verse 5, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious foods such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Now I'm going to stop there and just kind of give you the gist. What happens is he goes in there, he feeds his father the delicious food, Isaac eats the food, Isaac questions him two or three times. Who is this? Who is this? Because the voice sounds like Esau, but 
uh, or it sounds like Jacob, but everything else is very Esau-ish. And so I don't know who this is. I don't know which son this is. And he lies over and over and over again to the point that he says, how'd you get here so quick? God blessed my hunt. That's why. I went out really fast and the Lord blessed it and that's why I'm here. Now, eat, enjoy, and then call a blessing on me. Isaac eats and then look at verse 27. So he came near and kissed him. Isaac kissed his son. Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. There's a prophetic aspect here where God's sovereign will is attached to this blessing that Isaac is calling on his son, um, Jacob. And Isaac will recognize that further in just a little bit as we go deeper into this text. But this is not merely the father saying something. This is actually Almighty God attaching to the words of Isaac And this is going to be very much the truth of his future. Now, let's pick up where we left off last week, verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Now, I'm just... The drama is... is, uh, I can't, I can't go near it as far as my words to just how thick the tension is and the drama of this scene. Um, if you were to watch a movie, it would probably reveal it a little bit clearer. So uh, Jacob flees with goat hair all over him, and he received the blessing. And I don't know if his mother wrapped her arms around him, our deception worked, and then they walk away. I don't, I don't know. All I know is that he pulled it off. Jacob, you've always been a good liar, and this worked out really well again. They flee. Esau comes in with meat and bread and this delicious amount of food, bringing into his father, thinking, I'm getting the blessing. Jacob may have stole the birthright, in his mind stole, but this time I'm getting the blessing. I'm primed, I'm excited, I'm ready for this. And my father's going to eat the food. I mean, you just think about as he's preparing the dish, he's humming to himself, he's all excited. I'm going to bring this food in there. The blessing is mine. Finally, things are working out for Esau around here. I cannot wait. And so he brings the food in, he returns with the meal, and he's primed to receive a blessing. Now, look down at the text. Verse 31. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. You ever been there where you're prepared for somebody's response to be a certain way and it's the polar opposite of what you had anticipated it to be? And the the shake into your system when you have a plan of it's going to go this way. I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say this, and then I'll say this, and then they'll say this, and this is how it's going to turn out, and it's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait. And then it goes the opposite of what you're planning. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? (laughs) 
oh man, I, I just cannot help but think of how that stress. Well, who am I? Who am I? Dad, remember? Remember I came in and we talked and you said you had a blessing. You said go kill some uh, wild game and then prepare it and bring the food and then come back and then you're going to bless. Remember, Dad, remember this is earlier today. We had this conversation. I know you're getting old, but you, you come on. I'm sure you remember this. I'm sure you remember this. Who am I? I'm your son. Your firstborn. Esau. Now verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came? And I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. Think about everything that could have ran through this man's mind in that trembling. Esau's coming grief. Possibly he knew about Rebekah's trickery in this event. Jacob's slimy deception. God's providential working despite Isaac's game plan. You think of all that comes into this moment. It's kind of the climax of this story to some degree that everything rushes into violent. And you notice ESV says, he trembled very violently. The English translation, they're doing their best to get at, this was, this was not merely a tiny little tremble or, look, I've got goosebumps. This was a convulsing. He was blown away, shocked, horrified at what just happened. I just spoke the blessing to somebody with all my heart attached and God was attached to my words to somebody. Then who was it? It wasn't you, Esau. It wasn't you. And notice he says that he blessed him and then he adds, and yes, he shall be blessed. Now, the reason that's important, okay? Turn with me to Hebrews 11. We'll go back to Genesis in just a little bit, but... We'll do a sword drill real quick. Hebrews chapter 11. Whoever wins gets to Hebrews 11 first. Um, <laughs> verse 20. This is the hall of faith or the faith chapter by faith, by faith, by faith throughout this, this, uh, this particular chapter. And listen to what it says here. Speaking of Abraham, speaking of Isaac, you get this one little burp about Isaac. I'll throw it in context so we get it. Look at verse 18. Of whom it was said, speaking of Abraham, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And you go, by faith? You mean by trickery, right? That, the, what faith? What faith could, this is all, it, in Isaac's mind, he wasn't blessing Esau, he's blessing Jacob. So how is the New Testament author telling me that by faith he invoked blessings on these men? I think the answer is in this short little statement where he says, and yes, he shall be blessed. Because please notice, guys, there's, and you'll see this, there's nowhere in this text where Isaac goes, oh, oh never mind, never mind. I didn't mean it. That wasn't true. Rather, Isaac's response to his, his, 
his favorite, let's, let's be clear, his very favorite son, Esau, his response is, what's done is done. Now, you've got to ask yourself a couple questions. Why is he talking like that? Why is he so settled? Why doesn't he say, well, he's a liar and he tricked me. Of course I'm not going to blame. Why is there no talk like that in this text? I'm convinced it's because Isaac recognized God's sovereign work in the midst of this whole event. Yeah, this was the trickery of Rebekah, sure. Yeah, this is the deception of Jacob, yes. Yeah, it was my own plan to try to do some damage and bring my favorite son in and bless him, and that didn't pan out. But when it all boils down, Isaac is a man of God. Isaac is a man who walks with the Lord. And I can't help but think at this moment, in that trembling, Isaac came to terms with the reality that I've been up against God. So by faith, he says, and yes, he shall be blessed. Not because I just said it, but because that's what God has declared. And so Esau, you've lost. You've lost it. That blessing is not yours. Isaac sees clearly in this trembling. Once again, Isaac finds himself in a place of submission to God's sovereign will in his life. He sought to accomplish his own will in a tricky manner, but is now responding in faith and walking in obedience. God's will comes to fruition. God's will comes to fruition. So what I'm getting at, beloved, is in this moment, as I have pointed out in the weeks past, there's an aspect of Isaac's character that he's a, a more of a submissive type of man. If you look at the fact that his father's going to take him and sacrifice him, you hear of no wrestling, no fighting, but a very submissive spirit in him. As he was fighting with Abimelech, he had a very submissive spirit. When he said, leave the town, he didn't go to war, he left. Then he kept digging, right, to get those wells. Abimelech comes back to him and says, make a a treaty with us so that way you won't hurt us. And Isaac doesn't say, no, tough luck. He says, okay, and he signs into that treaty. There's a consistent submissive will to Isaac. And so I can't help but think that this man, who is a godly man, has come face to face with reality. This was God's design for Jacob and for Esau, and so yes, he shall be blessed. There is a surrendering of his will to God's will in this text. That's hard, isn't it? When God in his kindness gives you a really good picture of yourself, he allows you to see yourself rightly when you've been going against him. You ever been there? Don't answer. Um, When you know you've been at odds with the Lord. You've been walking the other direction God has been calling you to. And in some way, somehow, by His grace, God says, this is you and this is where you've been for quite a while. One Puritan said, it is a blessed day when the Lord allows you to see yourself rightly. And that is true, beloved, when God... When God enables that you see yourself and you go, I've been running against him. I've been running against him. 
So I believe Isaac, by faith, surrenders his will and is not going to budge in this text. Even though his favorite son tries everything he can to get him to budge. Look look down at your Bible. Where did Dan leave off? Okay, verse 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also. Now, this text has to be read more like, Wah, bless me, even me also. And what's so fascinating about Esau to me is that the picture of Esau thus far is a manly man, a robust, strong hunter. Remember, Jacob lives in tents, and he's mom's favorite, Esau's dad's favorite. He goes out there, he kills animals. That's what he does. He's a stud, right? Just super strong. He he takes two wives from another nation just because he wants to. Who cares what God says? I know what's best for me, and that's what I'm going to do. But what's interesting is that all of that rough exterior of Esau melts away and we see the whimpering little boy that comes out in this text. Making up for what was really on the inside, perhaps. Verse 35, but he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Please notice, he's not even flinching given this news to Esau. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? You can, <laughs> I got three older brothers. I can so just get this. Is he not rightly Jacob? And the reason he says that, Jacob, remember he was holding his heel, name heel grabber or clinging to his heel or a cheater. So this concept of he's somebody that trips people up. He's a cheater. Is he not rightly named? For he has cheated me these two times. Can I remind you when he says these two times? Do you remember when the birthright was sold? Do you remember Esau? Remember how quick he was willing, how much he was all about selling it for that bowl of food? There's something about his character here that I'm going to touch on in just a second. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? This manly Esau is crushed, weeping and wailing. Esau still pursues a blessing from Isaac. Obviously, God's decree was attached to Isaac's words. Esau's anger burns against his brother Jacob. Notice he says, rightly named Jacob. And Esau takes no responsibility. Rather than accepting responsibility, Esau quickly blames Jacob for all that is wrong in his life. How true to life is that? I'm going to pause right here and make a point for just a second. How easy is it for us to become victims when we are products of our own doing? Please notice in this text that Esau's response is, I can't believe he did this to me. Bad things happening to a good person. I've always been a good guy. I I never murdered anybody. I've never hurt anybody. I'm I'm a good guy. And and this, this brother of mine, this Jacob, rightly named how he stole my birthright from me. Do you see how, hear how skewed this is, you guys? I'm a victim here. 
There's no sin involved. I didn't do it. There's no responsibility that I should be taking here. No, rather, it's Jacob's fault, not mine. It's funny to me how folks sometimes will pick on the Scripture, unbelievers will pick on the Scripture and say, oh, it's just a dusty old book that doesn't really uh, um, apply to our own day and doesn't really touch on our own day. Now, the reality is this point that's right here in this text smacks my generation in the face. Let me go a little deeper. It smacks humans in the face. How quickly we rush to become the victim so that we take no responsibility for our sin and we blame everybody else for everything that's gone wrong. Esau rushes so fast to say, it's all Jacob's fault, I've done nothing. Not true. That's one of the sweet aspects when we come to Christ is when we come to the grips with our own sin. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see your spiritual poverty rightly. You see, man, I'm no victim. I'm a sinner. I have shaken my fist in God's face for years, and now by grace he has poured his love out on me. But nonetheless, this rightly fits very well. He said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? This guy is dogged. He just will not give up. Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I've made him Lord over you. (laughs) Isaac is putting some salt deep in this wound now. I've made him Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. By the way, you're his brother. And with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Isn't that that interesting? It's just like, just wave after wave after wave, hit after hit. I've done this, I've done this. He's Lord over you. You're going to be serving him. He's going to have all of the things that he needs to be sustained. What else could I give you if I've given everything to him? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now, it'd be interesting if you had like a a hope meter on the heart of Esau at this point, okay? Because at this point, he's been hopeless, and now he says, don't you have a blessing for me? Don't you have a blessing for me? Please, 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 with a cherry on top. I'll never want anything more after this. And that hope meter goes up as... Jacob takes a breath and is about to proclaim something. And listen to what he says. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. It's very interesting to me in this text how Isaac is so unflinching. And as I've stated before, I can only attest that to the reality that Isaac believes this is God's will. I've been fighting against his will no longer. So Esau, you want to hear something from me? Here's what you're going to hear from your dad. 
the dew of heaven, the concept is heavenly blessings from God are not yours. The fatness of the earth, in other words, all the, the blessings that come from this earth, they're not yours. You'll live by the sword. In other words, you always have controversy, always be at war. You will live fighting. That's the rest of your life. And then this little concept of you'll break from the yoke of your brother at some point. A devastating, devastating prophecy from Isaac to his son Esau. What could I give you, my son? Here's what I give you. Really, a curse is given here in the text. Away from the earth's fatness, away from the dew of heaven, living by the sword, you'll serve your brother. Esau's hatred for Jacob was brewing, and he made plans. Look down at your Bible, verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, so listen, beloved, this is the heart of this man. Follow your heart, right? So here you go. Here's his heart. The days of mourning for my father are approaching. In other words, dad's going to die someday. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. Sometimes as Christians, we can use words so often, really, really holy Bible words so often that we grow an over-familiarity with it and it becomes very easy to say and it doesn't, it doesn't touch the mind as strong as maybe it did when you first got saved. When you, see, when you say the word sin, perhaps it doesn't have that potent, powerful impact that it did at one point in your life. Maybe it does, and praise God, because that's a spirit-given thing, I believe. Sin is not a small, minor, little defect in somebody. When we talk about sin, we talk about aggression, anger, hatred, to the point in the heart of this man towards his brother says, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. I will take his life. Now, think of the sadness, the desperate sadness of the lot of this man's life. Where his life has been all about himself. It's been all about filling his needs, his desires. The fact that he loves killing animals, the fact that he loves eating these animals, he's brought in two wives from another nation that he never was supposed to do, and he's just a man who lives for his own purposes, his own joy, his own delight, and he just keeps coming up against this wall over and over and over, and now he comes to the point of saying, it's not my fault at all, it's Jacob's, therefore when dad dies, I'm going to kill him. How deep and dark is the heart of mankind? How sinful is the heart of man? And how sweet and precious is the work of the Spirit to actually make a new creation out of that being? See, guys, your salvation was not merely an addition. You're a miracle. You're a new creation. God did not just add some things to you. He made you brand new if you're in Christ. Your loves have changed. Your desires have changed. Your hopes have changed. You, you have something inside of you unsaved people don't have inside of them. 
The Spirit of God is there convicting you, reproving you, convincing you. Death to life. The Bible never, it just doesn't talk about being somewhat ill to somewhat better. It talks about death to life. Old, nasty, dead creation to a brand new creation. Conversion is not something simple. It's something magnificent, miraculous, that God is accomplishing as he calls people unto himself. Now, I'm going to stop there in the text for this morning. Um, Once again, Rebecca catches wind and she's got game plans. So we'll, we'll go there next week. But a couple points of application I want you to consider with me. Number one, I brought this up last week, but it's just too biblically rich to not bring a few different times Truth be told, I've brought it up for the last 11 years, probably every Sunday. So, let me bring it up again. God's divine purposes will never be thwarted. They will always be accomplished. Um, Does that mean I don't have questions about the sinfulness of man and the will of man and God's sovereignty? Well, no, of course I do. Of course I do. I would imagine you do too. You search the scripture and you go, well, we're commanded to do this, but then it finds out that God does exactly what he wants. How do those two work together? They work together beautifully. Just don't know how. We'll find out. But that doesn't cause me to shy away from what the scripture declares with utter clarity. God's will will be done. His purpose will be accomplished. You can bow your knee to that or you can not like it, but it's the truth. Almighty God is sovereign. Jesus Christ died at the exact instant he decreed. The scripture says you cannot add a single hour to your lifespan. It says it over and over in so many ways, in so many varied ways, that God's purpose will not be frustrated. It will not be thwarted. And so once again in this text, God at the very beginning told Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. This is why in Romans chapter 9, I know it's the text on election and it gets spicy and everybody likes to debate and all that kind of stuff. All I want to point out in that chapter, if you want to read the book of, or the the chapter 9 of, of the book of Romans, is the Apostle Paul unflinchingly says the reason this is this is happening with Jacob and Esau is because of God's divine election. I didn't say it. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying that's what he says. That's the argument. The Apostle Paul says that with utter clarity that Jacob I loved and Esau I have hated. And you go, well, because he saw good things in Jacob is why he chose Jacob. Have you seen some good things in Jacob these days? (laughs) I I sure have not. Um, No, it actually goes so far as to say before they did anything good or bad, God made his sovereign decision. Now, all I can say, beloved, with an open heart and and an honest mind as much as I know, I have a ton of questions of how all that works out. But I will not let it close the book. That's what it says. And I will submit to that. God's divine purpose will not be thwarted. Number two. And this one... Follow, just follow with me on this one, because it's really, it's ringing out my heart a little bit, okay? Esau and this whole event is a mild picture of what all unsaved will be looking forward to. 
Okay, track with me on this, okay? He's living a life for self. He's lying and is deceiving for his own personal gain. Eventually, he comes face to face with God and with the truth. God's judgment is unrelenting. Remember, I said a mild picture, okay? As you walk through this passage, you see Esau um, in tears and, 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 and just scared and angry and worried, begging, begging Isaac, please, 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 no, 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 no. Please, you could, you could change this. You could do something different. You could do something different. And Isaac is unflinching in his response to the point that he goes, all right, well, then here's what it's going to look like. And he lays out a curse on him. And there is no room for repentance. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Turn to Hebrews, if you would. I'm quoting Scripture, and perhaps you're familiar with this. I don't know, but this is what the Bible says in reference to him. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 15. It's so interesting how the author of Hebrews uses this this event with Esau, to make this point, what he says here. Chapter 12, verse 15 in Hebrews says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Over and over and over, the scripture refers to judgment, to hell, as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. And so, all I'm drawing from here, you guys, is the picture of what we see here with Esau, I believe, is a a portrait, a mild portrait of eternal hell that awaits everybody outside of Jesus Christ. As they live a life for themselves, as they live a life flooded with arrogance, as they live a life where... I don't need God. I'm glad you found religion. I have no need for him. I don't want your Christ. I don't want your salvation. I don't want that. The fool says in his heart, no God. There is no God. And they can live a life of luxury. They can live a life of all kinds of things, man's praise. And then it results in coming before the sovereign king of the universe who says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I've never known you. And they will go forever, for all eternity, weeping, gnashing of teeth under the absolute perfect wrath of Almighty God. That is a Christless eternity. And so as Esau, this tough, manly man, is sitting there whimpering like a little baby before his father. Beloved, this is what awaits all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. No chance to repent. 
So let me press you hard this morning. Two ways. Number one, is that yours? Is that your future? Did I just describe you? You've been hiding in this church or you're a visitor this morning and you're going, what did I get into? Is that you? Then run to Jesus Christ. Fly, just flee to him. There's salvation in no other name. You're not going to do it by yourself. You can't. And God in his grace has said, there's my son. There's the life raft. Come to Christ. But to you, Christian, does the truth of hell motivate you to get out and beat the street with the gospel? As the end result being for some of my family members, some of my dearest, some of my dearest friends having no chance to repent. And the thought that, Dan, you had so many opportunities to tell them the gospel. So many times you could have put out that, that good news of Jesus Christ. And you were scared because I don't want to offend him. I don't want the conversation to get too deep. I, I, all these excuses. Beloved, we cannot forget the reality that this entire universe is on its way to a place that either you're in Christ or out of Christ. In Christ, come into the joy of my Father, the Lord Jesus says. Out of Christ, to hell, which was prepared for the devil and his angels, and you will be there for all eternity with weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's amazing some of the stupid things I can find myself discussing with my unsaved friends and never get to So I charge you, up your game. Just up your game. Just ask God. God, give me the guts to just speak. Just just to be forthright with him. Just say, man, listen, I got to tell you, I know, I know that this is kind of weird and you know that I'm one of those Christian people, but I've got to share something with you. It's the most important thing I can share with you. And yeah, they might be offended. But you know what? Without offense, there's no salvation. That's the path to Christ, is you are offended by God at first. Then you see your offense to God, and then you see the sin as an offense to you. You see who you are rightly, and God in His grace, He brings people into our lives to draw them to Himself and to be straight with us about the truth. Beloved, you are here on mission. So, I've given the illustration numerous times, and then I'll pray one more time. I want to share it. Soldiers sent into this particular city, and the general says, I want you to go take that city. Yes, sir. And he goes in there. There's a whole crew of them. They're going to go in and take that city because we're at war here. General drives in, and he sees two or three of them milking cows. No, it's not a dairyman joke. <laughs> They're milking cows. One of them got married. They're thoroughly enjoying living. This is great. We just planted a garden. Life's, life's really easy. I love this town. And the general says, you completely disregarded why you came into this town. 
Beloved, I, I challenge you, and it's only because my heart is freshly challenged, I do not want to disregard the mission I'm on. Because life is so easy here. I want to recognize the orders of the general, and I want to walk in obedience to that. So may God, in his grace, loose our tongues this week. Father, thank you for your word. God, there's mysteries in this book that